to the podcast, everyone. I'm Chad Norman, Internet Marketing Manager at BlackBot, and your host for this nonprofit technology podcast. This is episode 16 for September 16th, 2008. I've put together an all-environmental show today with uh, players from five nonprofits from around the country, uh, so it should be pretty interesting, something that's passionate uh, to me as well as everyone else on the panel. Before we get into the green, though, I'd like to introduce them to you. Sitting across the table from me is newly minted Melanie Mathos. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Chad. Melanie just returned from her honeymoon uh, in Greece with uh, no pictures and a uh, last name. So. <laughs> I'm working Congratulations. on it. Congratulations. Yes. Thanks. Congrats. If you want to find Melanie online, you can check her out at blackbot.com slash blackbotnews and uh, twitter.com slash melmatho, new URL there. And Melanie is also the public relations manager here at Blackbot. Um, joining us for the third, maybe fourth time is Michael Sola, Director of Information Technology at the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you, Chad. You can find Michael at uh, cbf.org or twitter.com slash michaelsola. And uh, how is it going with that amazing building you get to work in every day? Oh, it is awesome, especially this time of year. Oh, I bet. Do you get to open up, start opening up the windows and everything? The windows are indeed open, yes. I'm so jealous. All right, great. And uh, joining us from Reston, Virginia, is Danielle Brigida. Welcome back to the show, Danielle. Thanks for having me, Chad. Danielle is the Associate Operations Coordinator at the National Wildlife Federation, and you can find her at nwf.org or twitter.com slash starfocus. And then joining us for the first time is Jonathan Coleman. He is the Associate Director of Digital Marketing for the Nature Conservancy in Washington. Thank you for being on the show, Jonathan. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to have you on the show. I've been following your work for a while. And right off the bat, though, i got to know, are you guys going to have a rumble with those Sea Garden people at all? <laughs> well, remember, first of all, um, just to kick things off, being on a podcast actually adds 10 IQ points. And I'm going to sound much smarter than I really am in real life. I still cut myself shaving. As far as uh, little, <laughs> the little sea patch, um, I think they're actually run. I, I don't know too much about them. I've seen them. They work on the same model as Little Green Patch, but I think they're actually run by totally different, totally separate people. They absolutely are. That's why I think a rumble is in Anyway, uh, so you can find Jonathan at uh, twitter.com slash jcoleman. That's J-C-O-L-M-A-N. And, uh, of course, the Nature Conservancy's website is nature.org, a great URL. So anyway, so I wanted to kick off the show by talking about technology and green organizations. I've always noticed that uh, the green orgs seem to be some of the organizations that do it the best as far as using technology and social networking. I just kind of want to throw that out to the panel of what your general thoughts were on why social networking really appeals to green organizations and their supporters. I guess, I guess from, from um, being someone who, who gets out a lot in the field and we do a lot of the restoration work, especially around the Bay Area, uh, there's just that automatic connection of greenness of sorts. And I, I sometimes don't like to use that word, but, but, but I think uh, it, it, it's, it's almost it's, it's good to be green again. And, and I think that that's something that resonates with a lot of folks, especially when they're looking for environmental organizations that do a lot of outreach and have a strong volunteer base that gets them out in the field in some fashion. And, and for, for that purpose, you know, we, we definitely are very active in that area of, of, of getting people mobilized and, and working on projects and, and doing things, especially from the, from the education uh, age all the way up to, to adulthood and groups and so on, trying to connect them in, in the digital sense is, is probably more of the struggle and some of the things that I'm learning from you guys, um, especially with uh, uh, what, what's happening out there in, in the new world because of the fact that our age groups of people who are typically engaged 
are not that involved on the internet so far. I mean, if you look at our numbers, there, there's definitely a big difference and a big gap. I can tell you that um, for the National Wildlife Federation, you know, when I first joined, I definitely wanted to kind of engage people in as many ways as possible. And so while social media is definitely not the only way I, I usually work, um, it's a great way because you're not wasting paper, you're not, you know, I mean, you are on your laptop, which is probably powered by a coal plant, but, you know, you've got to figure out that you can reach a large number of people. And I don't know, I live under the kind of presumptuous thing that everyone wants to care about the environment, they just don't know enough. Right. And so I think that's kind of where I come in. Is that one of the reasons why this, why sort of social networking has really taken off with environmental organizations? Because everyone wants to get involved and we can get to that scale relatively quickly, whereas other sort of niche nonprofits have a harder time building that community and building that following? I think I that's definitely guess. a possibility. Um, <laughs> but what I think it might even be a little bit more is that, I mean, we all know that something really exciting happens when we get out into nature. There's this sort of indefinable connection between people, and that I think is part of what's behind people who are interested in nature, interested in the environment, interested in wildlife and the outdoors and, and things you can do outside, all sort of getting together and looking to these new sort of Web 2.0 social networks, these new sort of venues where they really can connect with other people who are interested and excited and you know just sort of inspired by the same things. Yeah, I mean, you have to think there's a lot of stuff going on in the world that we can't always, I mean, it's not very uplifting, but... The cool thing about the green community and what's happening right now is that we're actually trying to support each other and be that positive voice amongst a lot of negativity, I think. That's interesting. I, I kind of always talk about sort of the environmental movement as well as is a lot of nonprofits have direct beneficiaries like kids, you know, people and you know, human services organizations and things. And the environment, the benefactor is sort of is us in general, but it's also the planet is that the planet can't speak for itself so that we sort of have to all put our voices around it, right? Definitely. Uh, I would definitely yeah. agree with that. I mean, especially, I mean, we, we just had an education group out here yesterday. Uh, there was probably 90 students that were split up doing all these activities. And, and just to see the level of engagement at that middle school age, I mean, you saw the connection. You, you, you saw them, you know, actively getting involved, getting in the water, getting in the canoes, getting, you know, their feet wet, you know, looking at wildlife um, that was around us here on the 40 acres of the properties on. And it was exciting to see because you've got to make that connection somehow, somewhere, and, and definitely was, uh, uh, was a positive for everybody who was watching that. And back to Danielle's point, I know a lot of the, the technologies are helping get that word out for people that just might not know what's going on in their own community. And, Chad, we're not going to let you off the hook with this one. What are some of the tools you use on gogreencharleston.org to enable that? Right. It's funny. I was going to ask you the same question. Um, no, <laughs> I, did, I didn't mention that at the beginning of the show. Mel and I both you know, are involved with green organizations as well. Um, I founded a uh, group called Go Green Charleston here in Charleston. It's really a, basically a website, but it, it chronicles everything that's going on that's green in the Charleston area. And Melanie is involved with a group called Fields of Families, which takes food that's not being used from farmers and gets it to people that need it. So back to your question, as far as like using some of this technology, we've been using the, the technology specifically in the social networking to get more members, get more readership to the site, because that's what we're really trying to do is, is put information out there and give people the tools to sort of go green locally. And so we've been using Facebook and Flickr and some tools like that and Twitter a little bit to sort of get the word out. It has been driving a lot of traffic for us, as well as um, social sites like not so much Dig, but we did get a lot of traffic from Hug. So um, obviously a green-focused social news site. So what about you, Melanie? You guys are just getting started. So 
Well, we actually just won a competition called the Create-A-Thon, which is a really good resource for nonprofits. I know this happens all over the country. I don't know if it's the same timeline, but uh, we have been adopted by a local ad agency who is redesigning our website. So we're going to try to incorporate more social media tools into our website now. But even just having information up there, we were getting probably seven volunteers a day, which is just crazy for basically a billboard website. So we're, we're really looking forward to it. That was an iPhone going off somewhere in the room. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so when we're talking about sort of the balance of promoting and getting visitors to your site with social media, what's that balance between promoting your website with the social web versus promotion of your social web via your website? And sort of a chicken and egg question. Like I noticed that, Michael, I think at CBF, you guys have listed on a page, you have every online community you're part of, right? You have Flickr and Facebook and everything else listed. How do you guys sort of manage that balance between? Um, that's a good question, and 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 usually what we've got our, our web team is is uh, uh, and Kim Etheridge, who, who I think is probably f- uh, Facebook friends with with uh, both Danielle and, and Jonathan, um, has has sort of worked to get a presence out there in all these areas, and and, and I think as such was the, the or at least the, the intent was to just try to get us started somewhere. I mean, the I've heard her say before it's. You know, we're, we're taking a lot of baby steps and small steps trying to uh, figure out how to connect at this level. And, and I think that was sort of the, the initial intent was, well, let's get out there and let's see, you know, test the water, so to speak. And, and I think they're still trying to formulate that, that e-strategy of sorts in this social networking environment. There's a lot of uh, talk within the organization as to, you know, how much effort do we spend? Is there really... A lot of you know value and return when when you look at the the folks that we are engaging with currently, and, and I think I, I mentioned this in a, in a previous uh, uh, discussion. You know there is a disconnect of sorts. We still have a, a solid group of our uh, membership that still doesn't give us email addresses. Um, so it, it kind of goes to the demographics of who are we talking to, um, and and is there a, a mechanism to push and maybe in a different genre, a different group other means of, of connecting the people who are already online who may have a yen to do what we do. Uh, and, and I think that's sort of where we're at right now as an organization. And, and, and my job trying to help them find the tools and trying to make that integration all happen is the uh, struggle from, from, the, from the tech perspective. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And to kind of go along with that, I mean, I think that on top of just dealing with the audience, you've also got to really think about the program and what your goals are with everything you do and, and that's something we're learning at, at NWF. It's just, you know, do we want to push people to a Flickr page for this particular program versus the next one? It might be a Facebook page where they can comment and stuff like that. So um, we rarely push people to any of these sites just because our membership is similar to the others, and I think our average member is about 65. So, wow. But we do, wow. we do kind of filter up, and so we'll get a lot of people passively or actively on Facebook, and they'll come to our site that way and become members that way. But it's kind of, it's an older audience, so you have to pick your battles. You can't overwhelm them. I did make a little site of all of um, NWF's online stuff, but it's not really pretty, so I don't push it out ever. Well, you know, on our end, uh, it's uh, on the Ninja Conservancy's end, there's uh, always a fine balance between, you know, turning to social media for solutions um, when we're running a campaign or, you know, pursuing some sort of outreach strategy 
Um, and we always have to go down uh, sort of the ROI road and try to figure out, well, at the end of the day, is it better to push people to Facebook? Is it better to bring in people from Dig than it is, say, from advertising or, or from search engine optimization? And it's hard to quantify those things because we're, we're still learning about how these people want to interact with us, what inspires them, what causes them to engage with us and to support our efforts. And I think, at least on our end, the more that we learn and, and the more places where we find people who really want to connect with us, those will be the ones that um, we end up promoting and trying to more actively push people towards in the future. I was, I was going to say, I, I, I like that, Jonathan, because we, you know, we, we at one point in time focused on a, a care to list that we specifically targeted a group of, of people that had environmental interests and, and we went after them at that level, you know, specifically to engage them just at the electronic, nothing else. Uh, and, and we had a high retention rate. Uh, they were very active in, in the uh, activism side of it, yet they didn't necessarily connect with our other programs or donations or, uh, or actual membership, which was, I think, one of the things that they were looking to see. Where will these groups, how will they connect? What resonates with them? And it was clear that they just wanted a voice. They wanted to be active. They weren't necessarily looking for a financial commitment or anything further at that point. Um, and, 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 again, just trying to feel, feel our way through. What, what is the best way to connect with folks and, and what works and what doesn't? When you're looking at all these tools, we talk about you know ROI. And Jonathan, you mentioned the difference between bringing in traffic via social news sites like Dig versus search engine optimization. Can you go into a little bit of some of the metrics you use and how you sort of gauge the effectiveness or different campaigns? Sure, definitely. And we're always out there testing first and foremost. And if there's any nonprofit folks listening who who feel like they don't have time to test or, or they don't know how to test or, or testing isn't worthwhile, they've got to get out their messages. I, I can't say enough how helpful and valuable this has been for us. Testing is probably at the root of almost everything that we do, and it's part of the reason why we have been successful. I, I know that we've also been very lucky online, and in some cases we've been early to venues or first to the network, or we've just happened to be the one that someone partners with, and, and that brings us a lot of success. But a lot of it is also due to testing, so I highly recommend people test something, anything, colors, words, subject lines, anything. But um, we track on a weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual basis uh, just a ton of social media metrics, everything from people in our cause, how much they're giving, to um, uh, referrals from sites like Dig and so on. Um, we try to keep a really keen track of the amount of people who we can sort of instantly message, whether that's on Facebook or YouTube or, or MySpace or where have you. And then we're constantly, whenever we reach out to them to communicate, we're um, also keeping track of as much as we can, the number of respondents. So even if the action is very, very small, like we send out a note where on, let's say, Facebook, where people can uh, comment on something we've done right there on Facebook without ever having them get to our nature.org site, we'll keep track of those respondents and uh, we'll try to do better uh, next time in terms of getting people to take action, even if it's a tiny little action that's you know not necessarily a conversion. Um, and we feel that this helps us prepare for the times when we are running 
you know, major campaigns. And uh, it helps us do that background research that's necessary to get people to convert when that time comes. But not everything is a conversion opportunity. Usually, we're just out there cultivating. We're just trying to give people fun things to do, easy ways to help, the sort of the candy that they're, wor- that they're looking for. Uh, before we try to offer them the vegetables, if you will. Do you have goals set around that, or is it just kind of tracking at this phase? The goals are more uh, sort of on my dream level. (laughs) You know, I want the Nature Conservancy to be the best everywhere possible. I want people to be able to find us wherever they go, any of the websites where they're already engaged, whether it's Facebook or Flickr, uh, or dig or what have you, and I want them to have an excellent experience um, working with us, learning from us, contributing to our mission, supporting our efforts. Um, that's sort of my qualitative goal, and I think we're still really working on the quantitative side to figure out what that actually means in numbers. Jonathan, I got a question for you. Um, with, with the metrics that you are tracking, do, do you uh, are, are you looking at the age of the groups? Is, is is most of the folks that you're looking at are they part of the Google generation or? Or is, is there any way for you to track that particular aspect? Only on a few of the venues. Facebook, uh, for example, offers us really good metrics. Um, and some of the sort of extensions to Facebook that are out there, like developer ad- analytics, Adonomics, will also offer um, really sort of keen demographics on um, the people who actually use some of those applications that support the Nature Conservancy. Uh, like Lil Green Patch and some of the others. But we're also looking at tools like uh, Hitwise, if you're familiar with that, as well as um, Quantcast, which is a, a sort of a free tool that, that gives you demographics information. Google Ad Planner also does something similar to that and is also free. Great tool that's out there. And that helps us get at, you know, who are these people? What are they doing? What do they have affinity for? What other sites do they visit? And that helps us sort of better plan, you know, not just our media buys, but places that we'll pitch stories to and eventually people who will want to partner with down the road. Yeah, it's amazing what you can learn from the audience's just within the different social networks and media sites. I mean, that's part of the thing that I've noticed is when we test, you know, I kind of know automatically just from spending time in all these sites where we should put certain information and where we shouldn't. And I think that plays a lot into it when you're making decisions on where you're going to post certain stuff. And I know Jonathan definitely knows that too. Now, are any of you actually talking to your CRM systems and your data and actually um, being able to map, again, more uh, demographic data to web visitors? Or do you have to always go to an external source? That is definitely a long-term goal for us. We're um, working on a uh, sort of web analytics, if you will, integration with our um, CRM and, uh, and also our offline database of donors. Uh, so that we can sort of turn to one place and have this like universal, rich interaction level data. We're we're just sort of not there yet. Danielle, did you have anything to add? I mean, because we talk about you know like trying to figure out where to post stuff. Is the real cost just your time? Um, yeah. I mean, one of the things that we're trying to do more and more is get more people to do it, so it's not just one person. It is. It's definitely time. As far as stickiness, it really just depends on. I think one of NWF's problems is that. We're really great offline, and we're really trying to work on our online experience, and we're not always the stickiest site, so it's hard to kind of say that they're not as sticky when right. we're, we're working on that, and I think in the next year or so, that's really going to change, but it, it's kind of funny because we, we really want to get people on our site and spending time, and then we're like, but we want them outside, too, <laughs> Yeah, <right>. so <laughs> kind of hard, but yeah. 
Well, I really like what oh. you're doing with that uh, the Good Neighbor program. It's an interesting way to get people on, on the site and get, I think, new people in. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, it's basically something that um, my boss said, you know what, you need to prove that social networks are awesome. And I said, oh, I know they're awesome. <laughs> but really, it stems from an idea I had when I was getting really bogged down with all the bad news about, you know, how global warming is just going to kill us all and everything else. And so I was like, you know what, we need to inspire each other and not, you know, really get down on the fact and um, we have this good neighbor program. And I was like, I would love to have like a group of really dedicated people who want to like support each other through going green or making little changes or helping each other out. And so I started saying, what if I asked my online friends to kind of, yes, they have to donate, but it's, it's kind of for a great cause. And then hopefully if I prove that we are, you know, a good neighborhood without the tool, then they might actually supply me with a tool. So I built the site myself, and it's not really pretty, but it's got a good I, heart. So I, I, I like the green roof. <laughs> thanks, Definitely. thanks, yeah. Well, in concept, it's great. I mean, you know, friends asking friends, that's what it's all about. Yeah, I, I really want to inspire that. I It gets kind of sad sometimes, <laughs> and so it's, it's overwhelming. Yeah, I hear you. My, my backyard is four feet above uh, sea level, so mm. I definitely yeah, worry about I mean, it myself. <laughs> Well, you know what I really liked about Good Neighbor, Daniel, is that um, there's that, that sort of friend-raising, fundraising model that, that we all know about. It's all out there. Everyone's doing it. You can go to change.org. You can you can do that uh, as using TeamRaiser on Convio. Um, there's a number of other. There's Just Means. There's, you know, there's tons of networks that allow you to do that. But you guys are doing it on your own site. So people are coming to you. They're having this great experience. And they're, you know, connecting with other people and they're donating, you know, to you directly. And you don't lose that transaction fee. You don't go through a third party. And that's fantastic. I mean, it's sort of bringing people closer to the actual experience. That's, you know, what I find to be really exciting about Good Neighbor. And that's kind of of a model that we're looking at as well with the the Net Community uh, introduction at CBF. We're, We're hoping that a more personal page you know, set up and, and reach out for, for our members who are actively uh, trying to work within a specific project or a group will begin to use those same type of internal fundraising tools. Well, I'll let you know how it works out. It's still very new. It, it takes me a long time. I've actually, to keep track of time, I'm only allowing myself to work on it for less than an hour every day. So, <laughs> so we'll yeah, I was going to ask that question. How much time are you guys uh, spending doing, you know, this, this particular work in the, in the uh, social networking environment, and are there more people within your organization besides yourselves that are focused on it? That's a great question. I think uh, a lot of the time spent is sort of the front-loading time, the, the getting a good profile, you know, building authority, making connections, gaining the ability to reach out to a large number of people, you know, uh, finding out how each network works. It's like moving to a new neighborhood, you know. People here paint their houses this way or they have this sort of recycling program and social networks, each one is a little bit different that way. But what I found, at least at the Nature Conservancy, is that it, it may take us a long time to, you know, gain the sort of authority and trust and credibility in the network that it takes to um, really be able to reach a lot of people and to either create web traffic or create a lot of commentary. Um, in the case where, uh, in the case of Dig, where we do a lot of social news marketing there, um, I'd say it took a good year, year and a half 
before we could sort of get predictable activity out of Dig and get those big waves of traffic. And of course, then they they changed the algorithm, so that's uh, much harder to do now. But um, mm. you know, it, with each one, I, I found that the most time is spent sort of in that getting to know you phase. And now I spend very little time on on Dig or Stumble Upon or Wikipedia or any of these other networks. Yeah, I definitely have to agree with that. I think you know you. You don't want to come off rude and too strong at first. It's just like getting to know a person. So you uh, you take it very slow and you kind of respect the, the social network you're on and you just kind of wait and see if you fit in. And I think a lot of times, you know, especially with nonprofits, we want to try and either fail fast or, or not, but... Sometimes over time is the best way to kind of see what happens. Well, you all are very much the groundbreakers in this area. I mean, who do you look up to for inspiration? I look up to Jonathan. <laughs> it's like, who does it better than Jonathan? Come on. Who does Jonathan look up to? I look up to Danielle. She looks up to Jonathan. <laughs> Jonathan, who are you looking up to? <laughs> Not me. I can tell you that. <laughs> well, actually, uh, at CBF, and I Michael. look to uh, uh, Kim quite a bit. Um, I know, I, I, she's another person I only know online. Um, and we've actually uh, talked uh, quite a bit online and learned from each other's work. You know, really, we all have so much to gain. The environment, the planet, you know, has so much to gain when we share information, either venues like this podcast um, or uh, Danielle and I participate in a offline group of uh, environmental uh, sort of web people in D.C. And uh, we, we all get together and talk about our strategies, what's working, what's not, how we can do things better, what we have to learn from each other. You know, we all get better when uh, we pay attention to what each other is doing. Um, to that end, you know, I try to uh, try. Uh, I often fail, but I do try to spend a good 10% of my time just doing research work every week, see what's new, try out some new thing I've never done before, but I've read a lot about. Um, you know, try to learn more about search engines or try to learn more about, um, you know, uh, you know, cultivating people on social networks. Um, you know, we try to pay attention to Scoble and see what he's up to and, you know, how can we emulate that success in the nonprofit world? Beth Cantor is someone who I look up to certainly for all those things. Um, I'm on her blog just trying to catch up with what she's doing every day. True. I agree. In fact, I look up to everyone in this podcast because, you know, it really does take, I mean, you, like, one of the great things about social media is that you can always learn, and that is something I am, I, I just am obsessed with it, and that's why I love, even though Dig is not as fruitful for us anymore, I mean, it shows you some of the best technology and what's going on, and, and same with Stumble, and so, I mean, there are so many places to learn from social media that it's great, and that you're constantly learning and what I like to tell other nonprofits that are kind of looking for that well what's right for me I mean there's new stuff coming out all the time and it's just good to kind of stay in the loop and never think you've reached success because more often than not you you're gonna just have to move with everybody else <laughs> all right well speaking of success I don't think I could have uh, Jonathan on the show without talking about uh, little green patch um, yeah, that's right. Uh, I definitely want to get a little update, but I'm sure most of the people listening know about it. But if you could just give a real quick, just overview of what it is, like really quickly, and then just kind of tell us how it's going and where it's ranked right now and all the good stuff. Sure. Well, Lil Green Patch is this really fun Facebook application. Um, 
I, I'm I'm a user. My wife just uh, started up a Facebook account. She she uses Little Green Patch, and I'm surprised because whenever I go somewhere, it seems like everyone knows about that little sort of garden game. Um, what it is is it's 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 very simple. There's um, sort of a virtual garden that you can kind of plant on your Facebook profile, and uh, then you can uh, send plants to your friends, and they send you plants back. And uh, and it, it's all very sort of light and fluffy. The plants sort of look like little anime characters or sort of like Care Bears or My Little Ponies or something. Um, they're quite colorful. They're more like Rainbow Bright, I guess, uh, in the genre of fluffy characters. But um, what sets a little green patch apart and what makes it a little different from a lot of these other Facebook applications is that little green patch was the uh, first that I know of, anyways, commercial application. Uh, meaning, you know, other than causes, uh, which we all know about, to make the, a very sort of special value proposition to their users. They said, look, if you use our application and send these fun little plants to your friends, um, we will donate to stop uh, global warming. And they chose the Nature Conservancy as the beneficiary of those donations. So what happens is when you go onto Facebook and install and Will Green Patch starts sending those plants to your friends is uh, they donate a portion of their advertising revenue to the Nature Conservancy. We set up a, a relationship with them that really focuses on transparency, openness, accountability. So they make that donation of ad revenue to the Nature Conservancy through another Facebook application, which is Causes. So you can go to uh, Causes on Facebook and go to the Nature Conservancy's cause and see exactly how much Will Green Patch has donated to us, and uh, to date, it turns out that that is over fifty-four thousand dollars. Now, that's you know obviously drop in the bucket. That's not going to help you succeed in your mission, um, you know, for for the decade. That's um, you know a tiny little line item in, in probably your nonprofit's the entire you know batch of online fundraising strategies that you participate in. But for Facebook, it's pretty good. Um, and uh, we're currently poised as the number four um, nonprofit in terms of overall donations on causes. And uh, we're, we keep on rising like a bullet. We've got a few other agreements with um, a few other Facebook applications like My Ferry and, uh, and Save the Earth. Um, and they make monthly donations to the Nature Conservancy's cause as well. But Lil Green Patch, they're really the ones who have taken off looking up their monthly... Boy, Facebook is slow. Their monthly users. That's people who use it uh, actively every single month. Um, it's in the top ten of all Facebook applications. Um, so really, uh, in, in many ways, that's uh, sort of the largest... Uh, donations we see from these Facebook application development companies. Very, very impressive. I mean, this is so cool. Other than donations, what else has Little Green Patch on the experience? What what else has it brought to the Conservancy? Well, uh, we again, uh, we try to make this relationship very open and, and transparent and, and help Little Green Patch show their users that when they use the application, the, the money actually does go to the Conservancy and they are having an impact um, on you know slowing the progress of global warming, so they really are making a difference without spending any of their own money. So on every page of Will Green Patch, uh, there's a link to the Nature Conservancy's cause, where uh, their users can just click very easily, stay on Facebook the entire time, 
and uh, see directly the impact that their use of Will Green Patch is having. Now, I don't have a way on causes to track how many people are clicking from Will Green Patch, but I can tell you, yeah, no, they unfortunately, uh, we, we just don't sort of have those metrics. But once Will Green Patch started linking to our cause, we started getting, give or take on average, about a thousand new people in our cause every single week. Um, we wouldn't have known that had we not been tracking the growth of our cause over time. So, um, again, you gotta, you gotta, keep track of these things, write them down, put them in an Excel file, however you keep track of them. Knowing the weekly change, the monthly change, and some of these metrics can really help you determine your success. How can this type of vehicle be replicated by other nonprofits? I mean, clearly you guys have a very large appeal and, a, and you're a very established organization. Can small nonprofits benefit from something like this? Definitely. In fact, I'd almost say that small nonprofits probably have more to gain. Um, again, I know we're very lucky and Will Greenpatch just uh, happened through their very viral model to turn into this very popular application on Facebook. But, you know, I don't think people are engaging with Will Greenpatch because they support the Nature Conservancy. I mean, I am. <laughs> My wife is. You guys probably all are, right? Yep, yep. Um, Thanks for your support. But um, what I think it is is that people are interested in making a difference, and particularly people on Facebook may not be those really wealthy major donors you know, who have the ability to sort of make foundational changes, but they have a strong interest in helping the environment and you know, stopping climate change. So if your nonprofit is small or if it's local or if you do something that's very tight and focused – Go out, you know, find which of these applications are popular or even the ones that are, are just sort of up and coming and reach out to them and say, hey, you know, I run this cause on Facebook and maybe it's only got a thousand people, but I have this email list and, you know, I'm looking for fun things that I can have my members or my contacts do online that you know, helps them feel good about the difference that they're making, even if they're not giving directly. You know, would you be interested in engaging in a cause-related marketing relationship? In the Nature Conservancy's case, these people have all come to us, um, and we haven't done that sort of outreach. Um, but I think the opportunity is there for anyone who wants to put in a little bit uh, more extra time, and I think that there's a lot to be gained by it. I think you can expose your nonprofit to people who've never heard of you, but who are intensely interested in uh, your mission and in uh, the beneficial work that you're doing. I wish you continued success with that. It's been just awesome to watch, and I'm just really impressed with the results. So. I just sent a Strabalicious. I'm very excited. You better accept it, Chad. Oh, I will. I <laughs> <laughs> love strawberries. Um, anyway, well, we do need to pay the bills now, so I think I should throw it to uh, Melanie for the Blackbaud News. Melanie, oh, what do you have? All good stuff. So we have a couple of upcoming conferences that will be coming up in October and November. The first will be held in London on October 20th and 21st, and the second will be in Charleston, November 16th through the 19th. And today on the podcast, we are pleased to announce that the keynote speaker for the Charleston conference will be Peter Thumb, founder of Ethos Water and a VP at Starbucks. Peter originated the idea for Ethos in 2001 following a six-month consulting project in South Africa after he saw the water issues that people there faced firsthand. His idea was simple. For every bottle sold, Ethos would donate part of the profit to clean water initiatives in developing countries. Now a division of Starbucks, Ethos plans to give at least $10 million by 2010 to nonprofits that fund safe water projects. Peter will be speaking on Tuesday, November 18th to a crowd of 1,200 plus people at the sold-out conference, and we're really excited to have him. We also announced this week the official opening of the Blackbaud Developer Challenge. 
The developer that creates the most compelling customization for BlackBotNet community will be awarded an iPhone and will also win his or her organization one year of free maintenance for Net Community. The challenge will remain open until October 31st, and entries including code and a description of the application can be submitted at blackbodlabs.com slash netcommunity slash contest. Finally, Charleston Magazine and the Coastal Community Foundation have selected BlackBot as the winner of the Philanthropic Spirit category of their annual Giving Back Awards. Since 2002, BlackBot employees have contributed more than 18,000 volunteer hours as part of the company's Volunteer for Vacation program. And so far this year, we have awarded almost 40 Reward Your Passion grants to nonprofit organizations all over the world. The Giving Back Philanthropic Spirit Award is given to a business that fosters charitable giving in a significant manner, and we're very pleased to be honored this year. That wraps up BlackBot News. Back to you, Chad. All right. Uh, do we have any uh, geek stuff that we need to talk about here? Does anybody got any cool new technology they've been playing around with? I finally saw my first, the first site that um, was using Laconica, the Identica application outside of Identica which I think is really compelling. I don't know if you guys have checked that out. It's at changejam.com. So it's the idea of being, being able to create your own Twitter community at your own site, which uh, I think it really has its merit. I think Leo Laporte's doing it at, at Twit Army as well um, for his group. Is, is that like yammer.com? Yeah, I was checking out Yammer. Okay. Yammer looks oh, really yeah. cool. Yeah. Yammer's fun. I've found a, a bunch of TNC people just sort of privately Twittering away in it. It's great. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, still have... th- I still think Twitter could kill all these uh, these startups like this by just adding tags to their you know to member profiles in Twitter. A- I mean, amen to that. I still don't know how Facebook and Twitter and no- none of these people have figured this out yet. I, I don't get that, but I'm telling you, social filtering that's the that's the way to go. Uh, well, <laughs> it- at least they're up and running. At least they're online. Sure. I miss Failey. Fail whale. Fail whale. He's a beautiful creature. Does anybody have any shout-outs? I uh, want to promote anything that your organizations are working on. Don't all jump in. Join the good neighborhood. Join the good neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks to James. <laughs> Who's James? James Towner. He uh, writes the AZ Sustainability blog. I don't know. Cool. He's been very sweet. So I like it. Jonathan, anything new going on out there? Yeah, check out our great video of this uh, wonderful, very innovative program in uh, Oregon uh, where we work with dogs to find endangered species out in the wild. Turns out they're much better at it than people. And uh, it's all on our YouTube channel at uh, youtube.com slash natureconservancy, all one word. Yeah, I wanted to blog about that. (sighs) Oh, yes, I wanted you to blog about that. We'll talk later. (laughs) Chesapeake <laughs> <laughs> Bay Foundation is uh, is is looking at the the No Child Left Inside bill, which is before the House of Representatives this week, and is trying to uh, drum up some more support of that. CBF.org/ncli. It's trying to get uh, funding into the No Child Left Behind to to get them outside and get environmental education uh, into that program. Yeah, CBF is awesome about that. We, we've we been working with you guys a little bit on it. I think we blogged about it a couple of times, and we have Excellent. Green Hour. Excellent. Yeah. And you have composting toilets in your building. We, yes, we do. do. <laughs> we do. Very cool. I, I, I would just kill to have open windows. <laughs> I mean, the composting <laughs> toilets are awesome. Or windows that open. Yeah. Well, that's probably, either <laughs> <At> all. <laughs> That'd be nice. All right, good. Um, well, that does it for this episode of the podcast. I'd like to thank our guests, Melanie Mathos, Michael Sola, Daniel Brigida, and Jonathan Coleman. 
You can keep up with the podcast and other webby things by following me on Twitter at twitter.com slash chadnorman or by checking out my blog at blackbot.com slash chadnorman. If any of you listeners have feedback, please send us an email at thebodcast at blackbot.com. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. So until then, I'm Chad Norman, and thanks for listening to the podcast. Don't get to pay attention to anything. I agree <laughs> with that, Jonathan. You know? At least we all, we all get to work in the field, so we have an excuse, right? It's like I get one idea, I've got to get it out, and then I forget everything that's happened to me since I was born. Is my phone uh, yeah, my- yeah, just from online. I haven't actually talked to anybody before. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I only know you, like, as a little 90 by 90 pixel like, <laughs> avatar. That's me. I, 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 I wish that's as big as I really was. <laughs> Postage Stamp Theater presents